And so I think that's the one of the secret sauces that people forget is you know they do that in direct mail, they do that in email, they do that in other digital channels. We can do it just as easy. We just again have to make sure the tools are easy because at the end of the day, a real estate agent should be out there doing their job on behalf of themselves and their clients. Shouldn't have to spend 19 hours, 20 hours, however long it takes to make digital ad campaigns. You're listening to The Real Estate Sessions. I'm your host, Bill Risser. Listen in as I interview leaders in our industry, getting their stories and their journeys to the world of real estate. Hey, everybody. Welcome to episode 252 of The Real Estate Sessions podcast. As always, thank you so much for tuning in. Thank you so much for telling a friend. And as we continue on in season six, I received a, a, a great email from Facebook looking to see if we wanted to have someone on the podcast who is part of the real estate marketing kind of global solutions team at Facebook. And of, my answer was absolutely, of course, when can we make this happen? So it's happening today. Joining us is Scott Shapiro. Scott's been with Facebook uh, about eight years, but has a, an entire background in advertising and marketing. And uh, I can't wait to talk to him about some of the things that I've talked about about Facebook over the last decade. Uh, it should be a lot of fun. So, Scott, welcome to the podcast. Bill, thank you very much for having me. It's wonderful to spend some time with you and to talk Facebook and real estate. Look, I'm very excited. I'd love to talk to somebody that works at Facebook and understands how realtors are supposed to use the tool uh, yes. in a very effective way. So, thank you so much for for your time here. The way I start every podcast, the, the listeners know I'm going to try to find out, Scott, where'd you grow up? What was home for you, a young Scott? <laughs> uh, two places. My parents divorced when I was really young. So I grew up in Foster City, San Mateo, which is a suburb right outside of San Francisco, right near the airport. So if anybody's ever flown into Silicon Valley or gone up to Napa, uh, you've definitely looked out the left side of your window and seen Foster City in San Mateo. And then I would spend summers with my dad and he lived in Upper Westchester, New York, really almost to the Connecticut border. Um, so two really different environments to grow up in, one much more urban, suburban, and one really, frankly, rural and more ex-suburban, uh, frankly, than uh, where I grew up in California. Yeah, I was, that's quite a quite a range, I would say. Mm -hmm. where, where are you? Where are you at now? You're working from home, like most of us, I would assume. I am uh, for the yeah. foreseeable future. <laughs> yeah, so are we. What uh, What is uh, What's home for you now? Home now, as of three months ago, is Austin, Texas. My wife, daughter, and I moved. Um, the long story short is that my daughter is entering high school, and it was a good break point uh, for us. Uh, we have a lot of family in Texas, um, including my in-laws who need a little bit of extra care. Um, they have some medical issues and they live in San Antonio. So it's the perfect way of uh, being at a large Facebook office that deals a lot with local marketing, frankly, which is core to what we do at this office and have the ability to see family frequently and help them as needed. You know, I know you went to Temple. So mm -hmm. you've lived all over this country. I'm You've got a resume that's pretty deep when it comes to where you've yeah. been, right? A lot of moving boxes. My stepmother often says uh, the frustration is the address book. And I'm like, wait, you still have a written address book? Like, aren't you on Google with this or somewhere else? I, I have lived a lot of places. Um, lived in Philadelphia for four years, going to school, uh, Baton Rouge, Louisiana for a bit, Minneapolis, Atlanta, and then moved back to the Bay Area. When I moved back to the Bay Area in 2000, I met my wife and then pretty much stayed there until uh, three months ago. When we moved to Austin. Let's talk about what was Scott as he headed off to become an owl at Temple. <laughs> what, what what was the what was the uh, 
what were you going to do after school? What were you thinking then? In <laughs> this is funny. I love that. Um, I was going off to college to be the next Steven Spielberg. That was my goal and dream. Temple has a wonderful film school, great communication school. I wanted to leave California. I felt more at home on the East Coast, and I didn't necessarily want to be living with my dad. So Temple was a great choice, a big city, big program, and I was going to be a film major. And uh, it took about one semester in and one late night with my best friend. She was she's gone on to be uh, very successful in Hollywood as a producer and a script uh, writer. Um, we were both. This is circa 1990 91, and we are cutting film with razor blades and putting tape to it to edit. There was no digital editing, none of the stuff that kids have today. And I literally looked at her, I think it was two in the morning. And I said, this isn't going to work for me anymore. And so uh, there went that and I got a general degree in communications and then uh, ended up in advertising and marketing. I have to, I have to back up for a second. You, sure. Let's see. So between the Bay Area and New York, mm -hmm. what was your allegiance growing up to? You know, which, which team did you support? I would hope. I don't know. A summertime, you're in, you're you're near the Yankees or one of those other teams. But so, so this is a well-known <laughs> fact about me that anyone who reads this is probably going to be like, "Is he going to answer this truthfully?" So I'm going to answer it truthfully because everybody should you should always answer questions truthfully. I have absolutely the world's worst sports allegiance. Basically, I root for whoever's winning. I'm a front runner. I'm a glory hound. I fully own it. I fully admit it. I often root more for the back of the jersey than the front of the jersey or the helmet. Um, so growing up in high school, <laughs> back when the Giants played at Candlestick Park my senior year, we may have missed a lot of six period for day games because Candlestick Park was a place you wouldn't go for a night game. And it was 15 minutes up the road for $3 ticket and a $1 hot dog. We used to go to Fenway Park every summer. Uh, my dad would take a trip with us up there and I loved it. So I don't, I am fully honest about this that, you know, Yes, there's a ton of Liverpool stuff behind me today, but you know, knowing me in a year, I'll be like, yeah, they hired, fired the coach I love. So team number whatever, come up next. <laughs> <laughs> I love I love that. You know, it's funny the way you say that. I go, you're like, you were built for fantasy baseball. Right? Oh, because uh, it's yeah. it's just designed to not yeah. really have allegiance <laughs> to any one team. That's oh, great. No. No, and, and, and it's funny. I think that's something you uh, – God, my brother-in-law uh, is great. He does fantasy football, and he's the same way. Grew up in San Diego and grew up you know, a par passionate Charger fan. Now they're dead to him with the move to L.A., and he's still a Padres fan. But, you know, it's all about, you know, DraftKings and all that stuff. And so on a weekend, he's like, you know, I don't care if the Chargers are winning. You know, my team is winning. You know, Peyton Manning's playing the Chargers this week. Throw for 18 touchdowns because I want to win. So that's uh, that's uh, sports fandom, I guess, these days, uh, circa 2020. It's changed quite a bit. It certainly has. Oh. Um, yeah, I love that. I love that. Yeah, I'm the same way. Dead Charges are dead to me. Um, yeah. yeah. I think they are a lot back. of people. You can't go back to L.A., yeah. No. So let's, so, so let's talk about advertising and marketing. You actually work for some pretty big companies through your career. Can you just kind of mm -hmm. walk us through that in a kind of the short mm -hmm. track and what that was like? Yeah, uh, happy to. I think, you know, came up through a couple of local TV stations, then a couple of large ad agencies, J. Walter Thompson in uh, Atlanta, went to work at some television rep firms, national rep firms selling TV ads, ended up in, uh, let's see, 2003, back in San Francisco, working for ABC for the national sales division, which was great. It allowed me to do the, the TV stations that Disney owns, LA, New York, Chicago, Philadelphia, big markets. They also had digital. So I was able to 
participate and worked with actually a teammate of mine and she's now at Facebook who's amazing and she was leading digital locally so she was great to work with and then they also had regional sports networks so things like you mentioned the Yankees yes yeah. SNY Mazin uh, Altitude Sports so did that um, and then got a out of the blue email from a recruiter over LinkedIn at Facebook um, and this was in 2012 like probably midsummer. And it was right after the company had gone to IPO and a bunch of people thought I was a little bit crazy to go and take an interview at Facebook. And I thought it was the best thing I had ever done and still believe that uh, for my career. So I've spent eight years at the company, incredibly fortunate to be part of a, an amazing environment, amazing culture and love it. And, you know, just very thankful and God willing, I get a lot more time to spend at the company. That's great. So I, I love the fact that you completely embraced digital. You had to in the world you were mm -hmm. in which yeah. has obviously made it very simple to make this transition. First of all, I don't really run into a lot of people that work at Facebook. And I know there's mm -hmm. like tens of thousands of employees at Facebook, yeah. and I know they're worldwide. Yes. Um, tell me, what's your favorite thing about working at Facebook? It's easy. It's funny. You know, I cheated because you were kind enough to give me the questions before, <laughs> and you've thrown me a couple of curveballs already, which I love. The thing I love the most is collaboration um, and culture. We really embrace a couple of things that, that lead to that um, authenticity, individual voice, be your true self and listen, digest other people's opinions because that's the key to collaboration. And so we have an extremely collaborative environment, not just at the company in general across, you know, well over 45,000 employees globally, but our team and the, the work we're doing in particular within real estate. And that actually spreads. Um, we're part of a large organization that also covers other verticals that are also local facing. So, you know, not only do I get to do collaborative work within the team on real estate that I'm part of, but also the team that does restaurants, that does auto, that does insurance, um, it does our EDU. We have several friends who you know migrated to that team. So it's the collaboration and just you get to learn so much from different people and yeah, it's a wonderful environment to have the ability to walk into work every day and learn something new from sometimes people that you just meet right in that first meeting. You didn't start with the real estate team, right? Um, no. How do I put this? Sort of. Um, okay. So <laughs> I had the same um, boss for my entire eight years at Facebook and Keith Watts, who's our director uh, and head of industry for real estate. He was my uh, industry manager in financial services when I came uh, to Facebook. And then he migrated over and started the real estate team and really brought with me, it brought me over pretty concurrently. He was kind of doing split duty as we grew the team. So he still was doing some financial services, some real estate. And once we fully broke out, I've been with it since day one. Um, you know, he's been an amazing mentor. Anyone who's ever been to a conference and heard Keith speak knows that, um, He's a fantastic and innovative leader. And so there's no reason to you know go astray from you know, working with a guy like that. Yeah, totally understand. Leadership is a great leadership is I feel too all too much a rare quality. And when you when you can attach to that, that's awesome. Yeah, yeah I mean, it's the it's the it's in a weird way, it's the simplest decision. You know, uh, he has a great saying, people don't leave companies, they leave their bosses. And I, I think he's absolutely spot on. And so when you've got an amazing leader, the other person I report to, uh, Julie Sonley, who's my industry manager, she's been a teammate for years and, you know, so smart, so inquisitive, so brilliant. And, you know, when you get to report to people like that, 
and they give you the freedom to do your job and to be innovative. It's like, why wouldn't you want to show up to work every day? Real estate is so regional. There are 50 mm-hmm. states and, and commonwealths and those things. I mean, there's, it is so regional. I can't even imagine that you, you, have, you must have the, a team that's spread out across the country. We do. We, we do. You know, I'm in Austin. We've got some people, you know, in the Bay Area still. We've got people who work on real estate accounts in Chicago, uh, Washington, D.C. So I think traditionally, you know, our company has had larger kind of, you know, pillars of sales offices, you know, the, the big media markets and then a couple of innovative tech markets, Austin being one of them. Um, I think post-COVID, it'll be really interesting to see kind of where the footprint of just our entire sales organization globally and in North America land. You you hear a lot of the um, the big tech firms, you know, talking about keeping that option of working at home as part of the future. And I know in our world, we talk about that a little bit. I, I'm on the title side of things, but we maybe we don't need the sales team to have an office in the branch when they're most of the time out of the branch. I'm sure that's been talked about in that in your world as well. Yeah, I mean, we we travel a lot. It's a industry that requires in-person appearances and meetings, the amount of conferences, uh, the amount of work that you want to do directly with your national enterprise client to drive technology and programs that fulfill what is needed at the brokerage level and the agent level. Then sometimes you throw in a tech partner who might be in a different city. So you throw it all in together, the nature of the industry, which is conference-driven, the clients where they're located, and then who, if they're using it inside tech team are the is that tech team even in the same headquarter building or are they elsewhere so it led to a lot of travel for our team and i think we're trying our best to continue the in you know this is i think post covid you know continue those in person touch points because they're very valuable they've helped us to build a better narrative better products which i know we're going to dive into that is a key component of how we learn but i think we're also trying to be a little bit more thoughtful about you know, does somebody from DC need to fly to San Francisco and does somebody from San Francisco need to fly to Boston? And how do we do a little bit better by ourselves and be more efficient? Yeah. Let's, let's talk about, uh, some specific things. This is a fascinating mm-hmm. topic for me. Um, I, I shared with you earlier that when I first started helping agents with technology, my very first session was teaching a KW office, uh, what mm-hmm. Facebook was in 2009. And yeah. I was horrible, but, and didn't know much, but I knew a little bit more than they did. So things worked out, um, mm-hmm. but, but let's, I, I want to, for like a, a, like an opening question, I would love to know, because th- there are realtors who are incredibly successful within the Facebook platform. Mm-hmm. There must be some common traits that they share. I mean, you would know this cause I would I'd assume you see this uh, on a regular basis. I think a couple of things that they do first, they think about what do they want to convey to the consumer? So I think it's basics, but sometimes it's easy to lose track of why do you market? We want to make the consumer aware of our products. We want to make the consumer aware of our value proposition. We want to make sure the consumer understands our services. And I think oftentimes um, what ends up happening is most agents use the listing that comes off the MLS it's a static photo. It's shot horizontally. And now the world is in a vertical, mostly vertical nature with a phone. And oftentimes don't really take the time to think about who do I want to this ad to influence and what is the action I want them to take? The most successful realtors always think about what's the end goal. And the end goal is obviously 
if the listing is yours and you have you know a seller and you've won the seller's listing, you want to sell the listing. If you're a buyer's agent, it's you know how do you see that to connect to connect to your consumers to drive relationships and value. And I think the ones that do it the best think about that, and then the rest of it falls into into kind of like a sequence. It's always start at the you know the level of what do you want to achieve, and when you can answer that with clarity, then you can use our tools to drive those kinds of impacts and business outcomes. I find that. Realtors I talk to, when we talk about Facebook advertising, I still, because it's so easy to do in a way, I mean, it, it's complex, you know, the business manager mm-hmm. stuff back there gets complex, but ultimately it's grabbing images or video and, and having a message. But but being a graphic designer or being a really good copywriter or being a really good marketer, that's part of creating good ad content. Mm-hmm. So is that part of the job for you just to try to help the agents understand that and, and be better at it. And there's tons of help inside the world of Facebook. I, I've yeah. been in there many times myself looking at <laughs> things that they show and yeah. recommend. I think on the creative side, obviously, you know, we need to do, we need to pivot the entire industry from a horizontal to a vertical world. We, I still think there is a lot of work, the industry, not Facebook, not Instagram. I think we, we have to do better work about where meeting the consumer and the ex- consumer experiences that they have in their mobile and I think that we still need to cover that gap. So I think that's part of what we need to do. And that's where we should help. I think the other thing is that they oftentimes, Bill, mistake simplicity for what they should do. And I'll unpack that a little bit more. Um, most realtors want to do lead generation. Yet a lot of realtors who I meet at conferences talk about boosting posts straight from maybe you know their page. But that doesn't, as an example, do lead generation. So that goes back to the initial question. What do we want the consumer to do? And so if you're not doing lead generation and you're boosting posts, that's not an aligned outcome. And I think even an ads manager and why we've done so much work nationally with brands and it's part of the guide that we just released about partners is because, again, agents will get into our tools into ads manager and it can be a confusing journey if you don't know where to go. So a lot of what we've tried to do over the last couple of years is actually pivoted and make it simpler to work with the national brokerages, design technology, collaborate on technology, influence product design, and help make an easy button. And then really tell a story that similar to the way you use a mobile phone, when you unpack it, and you turn it on and it's five steps to get your iPhone going. Don't mistake easy for a complex piece of technology. So I think we want to take friction out. And we want to take a lot of the human guesswork out because I think that is where oftentimes people go astray. And then they, they think they're doing it. They think they're getting something that is tangible, but we're still not aligned. And it goes back to that, you know, what's the outcome we want? And most most agents, it's it's lead generation or demand generation. We have to talk about the uh, recent, I'm a year and a half ago, maybe now, mm-hmm. uh, the, we had the yeah. issue with the uh, fair housing, uh, HUD got involved and targeted messaging, which was incredibly powerful in the world of Facebook um, mm-hmm. has been severely kind of limited, right? I think the realtor, the real estate industry is one of one or two or three industries that have to answer a very specific question if you're going to do some sort of advertising because then mm-hmm. it's going to change the rules. How's How are things going there? What does it look like for an agent now? Do they have to cast a wider net maybe and then try to identify who in that net is good? How, what do they do? So, sure. I think that's a great question. The net did open up. So, you know, uh, instead of being so micro-targeted 
to the point that you know you're probably actually squeezing too tight and not allowing our systems to learn what we've had to do and and it's the right thing to do we don't ever want our platforms used to discriminate redline or do anything harmful like that um so the decision is the right decision to make it more open from a targeting perspective two things that i've seen have happened one we always thought that agents were probably constricting our systems and our machine learning too much. They literally were drilling down to find 200 people. And it's the classic idea of the sales funnel. The more prospects we open up, you know, if I have 2000 prospects versus 200, I'm going to close most likely more business. It's just mathematically possible. So it's actually opened up a wider variety of targeting, opened it up for more people to see more consumers, to see their messaging. And I think we've seen better, frankly, really no no drop off in efficiency in the platform. I think the hidden recipe that's part of Facebook's targeting is the use of what we call a custom audience or your CRM. So how do you integrate that into an ad campaign? And so a lot of the work that we've been trying to do, again, at the national level with those tool sets to the local level is to allow for that integration so that if you build a CRM of couple thousand people and you're doing direct mail and you're doing email marketing and you kind of know I'm cutting up my list. So this person I sold a house to five years ago, I want to kind of reach out to them. This person is a year in and I want to just send this type of message, an anniversary message. You know, this is what's new in the community. This is the evaluation of your home. By using those tool sets, that's the best targeting that we can do on Facebook. Um, And then, you know, using and being compliant and doing all the right things that's how you can build a really rich sphere and a farm and target those folks really effectively. And so I think that's the one of the secret sauces that people forget is, you know, they do that in direct mail. They do that in email. They do that in other digital channels. We can do it just as easy. We just, again, have to make sure the tools are easy because at the end of the day, a real estate agent should be out there doing their job on behalf of themselves and their clients. Shouldn't have to spend 19 hours, 20 hours, however long it takes to make digital ad campaigns. Right. Yeah, I, I think that's a fantastic way of looking at it. There are so many, you mentioned other tools out there right now that allow a realtor to, based on what they know about an area or, a, or, or the type of customer they want to work with or just their farm, mm-hmm. that, you know, what does a downsizer look like and what does an upsizer look like and what does an investor look like, right? And if you mm-hmm. can do that inside Facebook as well, that makes perfect sense because you can identify those people and have that very targeted message go to them still. It can, you can still target. It's just done differently. And it's and it's compliant. I think the other thing exactly. that's really important is that the, the work we do is always based upon making sure that we're compliant. Right. So when we're working with um, a national firm, I'll just use Remax as an example. Sure. They launched a, a, an agent-facing tool called Megaphone through HomeSnap. It's a great tool. But like that compliance work is laid in for you. The optimizations are laid in for you. All of the secret sauces that, you know, again, you get into Ads Manager and you're, it's kind of a decision tree. Um, the goal, really, the work we've done over the last 24 months is has been around this idea of compliance, the right best practices built into these tools so that literally agents have you know, if you're spending the $10, it should be the most optimal $10. If it's $100, the most optimal 100 So that's really a focus. And I, the compliance and the targeting and the integration pieces are, are really important to that conversation, that story. This might sound kind of basic, but can we just walk through um, kind of the hierarchy of, of advertising yes. on Facebook for a realtor? I mean, I, I believe, you know, obviously the easiest entry level thing is 
you know, boosting a post, as you mentioned, mm -hmm. right? It, if a seller says, will you advertise on Facebook? I guess I am um, doing what I said I would do if I boost a post. True. You are. You're using more of an engagement reach metric, though. Right. Um, so we, we lose that lead generation um, ability with that unit. Um, it's much more about impression-based and engagement around the post versus what we're trying to do. And we feel our mission is as a team, which is to drive sales, satisfied customers, right? And then, and then GCI for the agent. And so that's the basic. Well, I'll even back it up further. We have a lot of agents who still believe that organic posting is a form of advertising, and that's not. So I'd even back it up further that, you know, posting on your page organically is not advertising. Um, it depends, you know, you're going to get some circulation, but you're certainly not going to get you know, the expansive reach from that you're going to get uh, advertising. So we go boosted post, and then it really is advertising. And, 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 you know, if you go from the boosted post into ads manager and or a tool, um, you know, best practice, I feel for, and I think our team has certainly stated this as well in our, our marketing materials, we have a product called Lead Ads. And the Lead Ads product is mobile enabled. It's literally in the Facebook and Instagram environment across all of our ad types. So if you're doing a video ad, you can do it. If you're doing an ad in newsfeed, if you're doing an ad in stories. Um, and what it does is it takes the consumer's information for what they've uh, pre-populated on Facebook. They open the ad, they click open. There's a lead form, mobile enabled, already pre-filled out for you. Click yes, I want to go see, I want more information. Or yes, I want the agent to connect with me. And I think that's by far for agents the best product to use, especially amongst lead generation. Bill, if they don't want to do that, they can also take an idea and take it what we call a classic offsite traffic ad. So if you want to drive them to your website, a landing page, and you want to do lead generation from there, that's also an opportunity. Um, and then, you know, from there it, it gets into, do you want to do an ad that lands in stories or a newsfeed? And that's when the nuance kind of comes into play. It's been the year of video and real estate since 2010. I don't know if you knew that. <laughs> so, so, um, I have been preaching video for so long and yeah. obviously in the world of, of Facebook and Instagram, video is king. Uh, yes. there's just nothing better. So can we talk about that? And, and, yeah. you know, what's important, um, for a successful video campaign, or is it just start shooting video, please? No, happy to explain. And I'm going to give you two different instances. So we may want to kind of pause cause I'll, I'll try to kind of give a delineated response. There's video and then, and then there's live. And I think those are two different video experiences that I want to make sure everyone listening walks away from with kind of a different mindset. Ads that are in stories, in newsfeed, 15 seconds or less. Think about it as a teaser. Think about the commercial that you might see on TV. Quick, to the point. Explain, you know, in 15 seconds what this is. This listing is 123 Main Street in this beautiful neighborhood in Austin, Texas. We have an open house on Saturday. Hope to see you there. My name is Scott. Please fill out this lead form and come ask me if you have any questions. I mean, I, that's not perfect. It's off the top of my head, but you get the point. It's 15 seconds. Um, consumers don't have patience in feed, scrolling up or down, nor in stories where they're, where they're swiping. Um, those units and experiences are made for very short form experience. So that's one. So that's speed, clarity of message, trying not to do... 15 minute long videos with drones, probably not a great way of advertising. Gotcha. So that's the advertising side. 
Um, if you have the ability to do text overlay, when we launched video, a lot of folks were listening with sound off. I still think it's a really good practice to have some text overlay. It adds a little bit of context to the video itself. Should somebody have the sound off, they can still see something, you know, even if it's just having a flash that comes across with the address or the open house date and time. That's, I think, also a really good best practice to have. So those are the video sides on the, on the advertising side. Now flip that on its head and you have the experience about live, which is also video, but it's much more long form. And the way I think about live, and we did a lot of work when COVID first hit in the industry about explaining Facebook Live to people. The way people should think about Facebook Live or Instagram Live is it's no different than when we do an open home on a Saturday. The thing that you have to just bridge the gap to is I'm not standing next to you with my wife. You're our eyes and ears to take us on the tour of the house. But the things that you would tell us if we were in an open house, the story you would tell about the house, the context you would tell about the house, the neighborhood, the school, the mosque, the synagogue, the, you know, the, the coffee shop, that's all very important to the story. And so, you know, it's a little bit, you know, choose your own adventure. A thousand square foot house is probably going to take a lot less time to do a live in than a 2,500 square foot house. But in you become, I think the thing I talk to agents about is that technology allows you to become a real master storyteller. And what it does that's a little bit different than some of the static imagery for advertising is you get to then put yourself into the story. That's where you can start talking about your expertise, your knowledge of the neighborhood, your knowledge of the things that make it not just a house, but a neighborhood, a concept, a community, your services, your expertise. So one of the things that I think we're going to see as an out as a remaining output of the time that we're in right now is consumers are going to, instead of wanting to get in their cars and go to our open homes, they're going to be looking on Facebook and Instagram for agents to put live videos up. And even if they don't watch it live, they'll come back and they'll watch it later in the day and it'll be no different than house hunters. And that's what I've said to folks is like, if you're in real estate, you guys have watched it. Thousands of hours of HGTV, you know, look at that show. How do they shoot? Honestly, you can go shoot that way. And you do it with a mobile phone. I think the one thing we say is use a gimbal. It's a $100 device. It's a basic uh, cam device for a mobile phone. And that allows for you to have a better line of sight, clarity, safety. And it's a better consumer image, you know, experience because you don't want it to be the Blair Witch Project. Um, but, but those are the two different, that was a long answer. I apologize, Bill, but it's, it's, it's important, I think, to delineate the advertising side and then this new experience about live and about long form and what that means. Yeah. I, I'm like, I'm a huge fan of, of Facebook's profile for, for the power it brings in building relationships, right. And those connections and, mm-hmm. and staying connected way easier than we ever could before. Mm-hmm. Um, but I love, look, live is not for everybody. I think that's, mm-hmm. you, you've heard that a million times, I'm sure out there, because yeah. you have to be able to understand that mistakes will be made. It's you, you're human. Um, but boy, the power in that is I, from what I see is just a user of Facebook that maybe they only had 20 or 30 people watch it live. But when I go back four hours later and 600 views yeah. have happened on that live video, yes. Yes. it's just, it's a no brainer. You've got to be playing in that space. Yeah. Here's another tip that I think... You know, it's a little bit of a cheat. Um, you know, you can shoot video on the phone and you can do the rehearsal. You can take short form and chop it up. You could take more video and then you could use that as advertising. So back to the 15 seconds, it would be a little bit janky to take a 10 minute video and try to chop it into 
pieces, but you know, you could take hero things. Um, you know, even if it's a 15 second video of you standing in front of a house, you now are in the house, the American dream, right? We all take the curbside photo from the MLS and we put it in there. And even though it's horizontal and we want it to be vertical because we're now mobile, um, you know, that's a great way for you to in, put yourself into the story. So I think we do have people who talk about the fear of being live, but I think more than anything, people understand that people are human about this. And, you know, no one's expecting a professional, crazy, you know, thought out production. I think uh, uh, Scott Shapiro with, production from Temple, right? Oh God, well, if that had been the case, it would be, <laughs> uh, it'd be, it'd be my dog with the camera on the back and, you know, just God knows what would happen. Uh, and, and again, this is why I, I dropped out of film school. Gotcha. Uh, but, but I, I do think it's important for folks to be kind to themselves and let go and know that, you know, how is it any different than if you're in front of me, you might say something or, you know, the door might stick. I think it's far better to have yourself out there. I think the one thing I would say that you asked earlier, what good realtors do in this really just popped into my head, Bill, is one thing I forgot to mention is authenticity. If you are not a certain type of personality, don't try to act it out. Don't try to be something you're not on. I think I think consumers really look for authenticity and it's okay not to be hyper and crazy and bouncing around a room when you're doing either advertising or you're doing a live. Be yourself. Um, that's how you can make that real connection to the consumer. Scott, this has been wonderful. Um, I, I really appreciate it. Now, I'm going to ask you a question. You're not a realtor. I'm not a realtor. Mm -hmm. We both work with thousands of realtors. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> uh, I ask every guest the same question. It started with Jay Thompson from Zillow back in 2015. And that's what one piece of advice would you give a new agent just getting started? Become a mobile marketing master. Think about this. Don't think about Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, TikTok, Twitter, name them all. There's a core underlying through line, and it's about mobile, and it's about the consumer spending time on mobile. So if you can put yourself in the mindset of not worrying about metrics that are social or views, you know, take all that, strip it all away. Really, the focus of what your marketing should be is on mobile and mobile across all these platforms, because that's where your consumer is spending the time. And ultimately, it goes back to you know marketing 101. We put our hard-earned marketing dollars, which comes out of your pocket, right, towards the place that you can drive the most business results. So I think that's the one piece of advice I would give is not to get caught up on the different platforms and what platform is up and what platform is down. Pull back and take the macro view. If you are great at marketing yourself on mobile devices across all these platforms, you will have great success. And I think that's the one thing I would say is, you know, from a marketing and advertising perspective, that's the big piece I would give them. I love that answer. And in 252 episodes, it's the first time it's been said. So oh, yeah, wow. that's, <laughs> that's awesome. Um, Scott, Put that flag on the moon. <laughs> <laughs> if, if someone wants to reach out to you, is there a way they can do that? Through LinkedIn. I'm on LinkedIn. I'm more than happy uh, for folks to reach out to me there. Uh, I'm, I'm honest about this. I try to keep my Facebook presence uh, to family and friends. Um, and so please don't take that in a negative fashion. Uh, it's nothing personal. It's just a, it is a space that uh, I use for my communication and my, my uh, mobile uh, moments. But LinkedIn is absolutely fine. And I do really try to help align people as best as I can um, when possible uh, to help them out if they have questions. 
Awesome. Scott, this has been wonderful. Thank you so much for your time and best of luck. Best of luck going forward. And when I'm in your neck of the woods and, you know, always, you right, you know, travel, travel will pick back up. Um, I think uh, since you have a major league baseball team down in that neck of the woods, we might have to take in a ball game and uh, have a couple of beers and talk about real estate. Hit me up. We'll make it happen. Thanks, Scott. Uh, Thanks, Bill. Take care. Thank you for listening to the Real Estate Sessions podcast. To leave a review or rating, go to ratethispodcast.com slash resessions. You can also subscribe to the podcast at your favorite podcast listening app. Finally, you can go to therealestatesessions.com and subscribe to our email newsletter and be notified whenever a new episode is released. (laughs) 